Would you please pray with me? Holy God, speak to us this morning and move among us, we pray. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was in the sixth grade when I first clearly remember it happening. It was my social studies class. My teacher was talking about Alaska, pointing to a huge map on the wall. That's when I remember it happening. She said something that contradicted what I knew to be true. I was very confused. Could, could a teacher be wrong? It was not something I'd ever considered before. And as I reflected on it, the implications continued to unfold. I remember trying to process what that could mean. What if she was wrong about other things? What if other teachers or trusted adults in my life were wrong? My little 11-year-old self was having a small life crisis in that moment. And if I'm being honest with you, sometimes I still have this life crisis. When people that I trust and admire are wrong. Now it's less about being wrong about facts and more about acting wrong. Responding in hateful or mean-hearted ways. And then as I reflect, the truth and shame hits me knowing I've done and do the same. I've been the trusted adult or friend who was wrong, who let someone else down. I, just like everyone, just like we announce every week in worship, have fallen short of the standard that God calls us to. I am the Lord your God, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Holy, worthy of complete devotion, as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Well, clearly, we'll never reach this holiness. We, unlike God, will never be worthy of complete devotion. And yet we're called to be holy as God is holy. So what are we to do? Well, maybe if we could just perfect our theology. After all, if we understand the Holy One better, maybe we can better conform to the image. Or maybe if we set up a rigid doctrine, if we can set the boundaries tight around us it can keep us on the right path. Or maybe if we could get our code of conduct just right, if we could perfect our actions, the rest may just follow. And if that doesn't work, maybe we just don't leave our houses. That way we have less opportunity to mess up. Obviously, this will not make us holy. So let's look again at our Old Testament lesson in Exodus, where Moses witnessed holiness. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. 
And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Do you ever wonder what this moment was like for Moses? Standing on holy ground, facing a holy God. Moses hid his face. He was afraid. Faced with holiness, he was even more aware of his own unworthiness. But this doesn't stop God from calling Moses. Calling Moses as a messenger, despite Moses' many objections and excuses. We worship and serve a God who is holy, even though we never will be. But that God calls us to. Calls us to be messengers. Calls us to that holiness. So let's be clear. Holiness is not an escape. It's not a removal from the complications of this world. As Yolanda Pierce writes, in fact, holiness requires an active and present concern and engagement in the gritty reality of a fallen world. Holiness is stepping into the messiness of life as we continue to engage with the world on behalf of a holy God. It's a response of awe and wonder to this God, this God who continues to call us, this same God who called Moses through a burning bush, Moses with his dark past and many uncertainties. This same God is calling us today calling us to let our love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, all in the example and name of this holy God we serve. We are to strive for holy lives of service, knowing, like Moses before us, we are imperfect people, and we are serving other imperfect people, which means things will be messy. We will face disappointments. We'll have those moments when people we trust the most will reveal malice and vengeance. Moments when we, despite our best efforts, will hear our words and see our actions and not want to recognize them as our own. Our God, who is holy, who is exalted and worthy of complete devotion, who is perfect in goodness and righteousness, thankfully, is also a God of deep grace. To follow this calling of holiness requires us to have deep grace, grace for those around us and grace for ourselves, allowing us to experience holiness. 
Sometimes in our lives, we are overwhelmed with breathtaking holy moments, like a burning bush that's not consumed, a moment we would never be able to miss and we can't look away from. But many times, these holy moments are quieter. And if we're not paying attention to the holy, we might just miss them. I experienced one of these holy moments last year. Jonathan and I are in a season of life where many of our friends are having children. For some, trying to have a baby has been like clockwork. For others, it has brought years of disappointments and mourning. One of my friends, a fellow female minister, shared with our peer learning group how she's watched others not only welcome a baby into their family, but is now watching them welcome a second or even a third while she's still desperately yearning for her first. So you might can imagine the hesitation I had when trying to decide how to share our news of Eloise with her last year, knowing she was still waiting and yearning for her own baby. To make the situation even more trepidatious, the other friend in our peer learning group had just shared she too was expecting, due in November. I knew my friend was gonna be raw, and I fully expected for her response to be guarded and emotionless when I shared the news about our future daughter. But to my great surprise, she thoughtfully and genuinely went out of her way to celebrate our news. As I felt her love, I was overcome by how holy that moment and her actions were. In short, I wanted to take off my shoes. I knew she was still hurting. I knew she was gonna have waves of grief as she walked with me through that season. I knew there were gonna be times that she would need more grace and times that I would be wrong and need more grace from her. There was no burning bush, but it was holy. It required an active and present engagement in the gritty reality of a fallen world. It was messy, but goodness was it holy. These are the moments of holiness Paul is describing in Romans, when blessing follows persecution, when authentic celebration outweighs jealousy, when humility rises above pride, when evil and wrongdoing is let go and forgiven, or every time grace is extended from one child of God to another. This, Paul says, is how we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, our holy God. Let our love be genuine. Let us hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. 
Outdo one another in showing honor, not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, pursue hospitality to strangers. Let us bless those who persecute us. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Not repay evil for evil. Live peacefully with all. Church, may we be attentive to and partake in these kinds of holy moments. May we be paying attention and be ready to take off our shoes as we see the holy ground around us. May we be the messengers we're called to be, living holy lives modeled after our holy God. And may God's grace overflow and abound for us and for others as we strive towards these holy lives. Amen. Now, as we prepare to see